Welcome to episode 277 of the Design Details Podcast. Uh, I'm Brian Levin. Uh, I'm Marshall Black. And uh, the reason I hesitated was I was thinking, I think this is the last episode we're going to record for the year 2018. Uh, yeah, it's been a year, huh? Oh, Marshall, maybe we should do a, a, a brief recap on the year. Sure, like uh, personal or worldwide? I don't know. Like, let's just count this as the recording. How is How's your year been? Are you happy about 2018 overall? Yeah, I mean, you know, politics and, and world chaos aside, uh, my, death my of personal the, life. Death of uh, the universe aside. <laughs> yeah. My career's doing great. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, honestly, though, like my, my personal life is great. I have a partner who I love and want to spend the rest of my life with and everything is going very well there. My dog is healthy and full of love. I'm happy in my home. I'm happy in my career. Basically every year, of my life has been better than the previous year for like the last wow. I don't know 20 years like basically since I got out of college like wow. every, every year has been markedly better than the previous and this year is no exception so I, I have no complaints on a, on a personal level if we're drawing a, a chart time along the x-axis happiness along the y-axis somewhere around June or July I think you you joined design details about 20 episodes ago uh, what's that y-axis look like for you uh, in terms of Happiness, quality of life. Hockey stick. Exponential happiness increase. Yeah, just straight up. <laughs> okay, good. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> no, honestly, like this is a thing I look forward to every week. Like I worried that I might grow to dread it or become, I don't know, like uh, become nervous about the things that I say or, or coming across as stupider than I am or not as smart as I think I am, which <laughs> probably has happened. You got to lean into that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just gotten over the fear of it and just yeah. to learn to deal with it. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a scary thing to hear yourself recorded. It's one thing to hear yourself talk in your head and, you know, never have it uh, preserved for posterity. But to be able to go back and hear your thoughts and sometimes the, the things you've said that were wrong or misguided or slightly off is humbling. And uh, ultimately, I think it's a good thing for me to grow as a human. So I, I count it as a blessing. So that's how my year has gone. How, how about you? <laughs> Oh, Marshall, this has uh, simultaneously been the most stressful yet the most rewarding year of, of my life. Usually they go hand in hand. Holy moly. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that's concerning to me is I, I do have a little bit of bags under my eyes. Um, so I'm, I'm really actually trying to be more mindful of how much sleep I'm getting and stress I'm putting on myself because I don't want that to manifest in sort of like permanent physical ways. But this year was good. You know, the biggest thing, of course, happened just a couple of weeks ago when we joined GitHub and sort of wrapped up being uh, building Spectrum independently. And now we have lots of smart people and, and resources to continue building communities for developers. And like, I'm just so excited. I wake up every morning just like, holy shit, like, let's get started. Let's get started. So I'm very happy to be in that place uh, wrapping up 2018. I'm happy for you, man. But yeah, yeah, there's, it hasn't all been easy. As they say, startups are hard. Well, you know, what's the saying? Nothing worth doing is easy or, you know, something like that. Like if, if it's hard, you're probably headed in the right direction. Yeah. But uh, and then design details, uh, you know, it's it's been great. That was a, a pretty big transition in the middle of the year. I, I miss uh, I don't get to spend as much time with Bryn anymore outside of work. Like the, the show usually, you know, brought us together every week to meet new people. And, and that was a really, really rewarding aspect of design details before he he transitioned away. And, you know, now we sit next to each other at work, but it's it's in a work context. And the show has has changed as well it's less interviews and more conversation with you which i find really rewarding but that was uh i was gonna apologize but okay <laughs> <laughs> no 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 apologies at all it's just been different and so i think that was a a good transition it's kept things interesting because i'm going on actually now that i think about it we started recording this podcast four years ago so four years ago, uh, that's a long time. I think that's getting close to being the longest time I've done something besides living. Yeah. Oh, I guess that means that I've known you for about four years then. It would be about that. Yeah. It's crazy. And now you're one of my best friends, Brian. Isn't that, oh. isn't that weird how life works? Isn't that weird? All right, Marshall. Well, let's get into uh, 277 our final episode of 2018. Yeah. Um, we've got some follow-up. We have a little bit of news. Uh, we're going to catch up with Zach Onisco from 
Dribble. He's the CEO at Dribble, and uh, that includes a little bit of extra follow-up on episode 274 that we uh, released, and and we'll we'll get more into that conversation here in a bit. But maybe we can start off with some follow-up, Marshall. Yeah. So a couple episodes ago, we're still doing follow-up on the smart home stuff. So um, <laughs> Michael Kneprath messaged. I have to imagine it's easier to set up a smart home when there's just one person in the house, which is absolutely true. But he said, what challenges have you faced due to there being multiple people and a dog that can all trigger your devices? So um, this is a great question. The answer, Michael, live alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Disavow all those who you love. (laughs) uh, Lock yourself in a cave. Cut everyone out of your life. (laughs) And have the smartest cave ever known to humankind. Yeah. So having multiple people in the house is definitely adds adds a layer of complexity to everything but for the most part you can kind of ignore it because those basic use cases that i went through like opening doors and and turning stuff off uh, turning stuff on as you move through the house that's that that is agnostic to the person that it applies to but one of the things that is available uh in most of these applications, I'm thinking of Nest especially and SmartThings itself is the acknowledgement of families and there is a concept of having a state where there is one or more but not all people home, having no one home and having everyone home. So you can do specific things if it knows that all people have left, right? So it can turn the temperature down on the thermostat so that you're not wasting heat or air conditioning or whatever. It can also do some smart things with knowing like for example with my bed it knows which side of the bed has presence on it so it knows if I'm in bed or if Virginia is in bed and can do different things based on that but for the most part I think it's it's not super difficult because most of the applications by which I mean most of the applications of the technology are ambivalent to who is triggering them now actually I've I've used this to um my advantage so you mentioned the dog so uh yes sometimes the dog does jump on, onto my side of the bed and turn all the lights off uh, if it's between a certain hour, uh, you know, between uh, midnight and, and six in the morning or so. But I do have a little trigger. This is a nice little use case I didn't mention before. If neither of us are home, sometimes the dog will go down the back steps and will poop on the landing at the bottom of the stairs in the back of the house. Nice. Um, because it's right near the patio where she normally goes out and poops. Yeah. So I have a notification set up that <laughs> if the motion sensor at the bottom of oh the stairs, God. which normally turns on the lights as you start to walk up the stairs. Uh-huh. If, that, if that motion sensor detects motion while neither I nor Virginia are home, I get a little notification. We both get a notification that says Luna Poopin. Oh my God, this is the greatest notification ever. Well, not for <laughs> yeah. you, but for me to hear about. <laughs> no, I mean, well, and, and it's a little bit gaming the system a little bit too, because it's like, it, it sucks because like, okay, I'm going to come home and there's going to be poop that I have to pick up. But getting that <laughs> Luna Poopin notification makes me chuckle every single that time. That is so, so funny. You should put like a little voice a little speaker next to the bottom of the stairs it just says luna (laughs) oh that's smart actually that would freak her out yeah probably yeah but ultimately i think it's i'd say probably 95 percent of the use cases it's it doesn't matter if there are more people in the house and actually having more than one person in the house can actually increase the number of things you can do with those signals so there's a really funny use case i i remember hearing when i was first looking into this stuff of the guy had set up the Seinfeld sting, that thing, like at the beginning of every episode, you know, during the establishing shot before it goes into Jerry's apartment or whatever. So every time he came home or like opened the door, it would go, which I think is fucking hilarious. Uh, that's but very funny. Normally yeah. I don't use my presence to, to trigger music, but if I was going to, that would, that would be the one. Anyways, uh, thanks for the question, Michael. I uh, appreciate it. And hopefully, hopefully that answered it. Do we have any other follow-up? Yes, we do. Yeah, we've got some shortcuts follow-up uh, our deep dive last week on shortcuts we actually got a couple really really good uh suggestions this week on twitter so thank you for people who sent us tweets yeah so the one most egregious omission from my list of things was uh, i was talking about 3d touch and i was even talking about 3d touch on app icons on the home screen which is what this is and i f- forgot to mention that the best use of 3d touch in all of ios in my opinion is if you have a folder on your home screen with apps in it and the the app in that folder have notifications. You can 3D touch on the folder and get a list of all of the apps and their notifications without having to sift through or go through multiple pages to find the app that has a badge on it. I use that every fucking day. It's amazing, mostly because 
the way I have my home screen set up is I have all apps and one folder that has all the apps that aren't on my one home screen uh, in alphabetical order, basically. So, which makes going through those uh, a nightmare without this without this little feature. I have a, a very similar setup. So I have hundreds of apps on my phone. I, I rarely use any, but I only have three on my like first page of the iPhone Springboard like whatever the home is. You only have three apps on your home screen outside of the dock? Outside of the dock, I have three. But on page two, I have four folders that are basically all full of apps. Um, and the, the 3D touch to get to notifications is the way I exclusively sort of consume notifications within those because I am a, a person who hates red dots. So I, I mostly turn turn red dots off for apps, but for ones that I want on like phone or there's a couple other like banking ones or something like that, uh, I just consume those notifications with the 3D touch. Super useful. Now, Super you've, useful. you have prompted a couple questions that I didn't know I was going to ask. So okay. number one, what are the three apps on your home screen? And two, if you only have three apps on your home screen, that means that all three presumably are as far from your thumb as possible because if you only have three, that <laughs> means that they top left align. Indeed, indeed. Well, this seems like a, a flaw with iOS, right? My three are starting from the top left, working our way to the right, Outlook for my mail and calendar, Things for my to-dos, and then WhatsApp so I can talk to Max. So what's in your doc then? Spotify, Pocket Cast, Messages, DuckDuckGo. Okay. And then I actually, I do have Slack sitting outside of folders. Ugh, I had to move Slack outside of folders because now we use it at work. And But that's on page two so that I don't see the badge very much. Oh, oh it's, it's for the badge. I was like, why wouldn't you just even out and have a full row on your home screen and, and round out that three to four? Because that's like a stressful badge that I don't want on my home screen. Okay. All of those things make sense. There's a pattern I've noticed in especially designers where they it's aesthetically pleasing to leave the last row of app icons blank so that you have a break between the the grid at the top and the dock at the bottom and that's always blown me away because those four spaces at the bottom are the most are some of the highest value real estate because <laughs> they're the easiest to tap and getting yeah, rid of them yeah. seems like willingly making it harder on yourself actually an aesthetic that i really like that i would work towards if i cared more about aesthetics but i, I noticed this uh mark Otto does this uh he works at github he just has all of his apps on page two so his home view of his phone is is total no apps except for the dock and then page two has like you know whatever he uses day to day so he opens the phone it's like very clean and has a nice photo he's like basically holding art and i like that but i, I can't quite get rid of those last three on the home just because i use them so much i have the inverse philosophy which is like the the dock is the most important for apps right i have like spotify my email my internet and then uh, messages, which I think is pretty similar to what you have. I have email in there that you have podcasts, but podcasts is right above music. And all of those four columns kind of radiate upwards and they're a gradient of usefulness to less usefulness, but still kind of a daily use app. Nothing is on my home screen that I don't use every day or every week at the very least, but it's a gradient upwards so that as it gets harder to hit, it's less frequently hit. But now that you mentioned gradients, you want to know the most buck wild thing I've ever seen people do is organize their apps by color in a gradient. Holy shit, people do that? Oh, I ain't got time for that. But people do it. It looks cool. Well, that's a mental model thing, right? Like if you, if it's less about the type of app it is or the name of it, I organize just as an organizational thing, not, not because it makes more sense that way, but everything alphabetically. So in that one folder, I have the first page of the folder is like a secondary home screen, but every page after that, which I've used like all 15 available pages is is <laughs> just alphabetical apps, right? Oh, if it doesn't go on my home screen and it doesn't go on the, the first page of that group uh, of that folder, then it, it just gets alphabetized into that list and it'll pop to the front because if it gets a notification, I can just get to it through the 3D touch. Okay, let me hit you with this. So since we're still talking about last week's episode on, on shortcuts, I mentioned Spotlight Search on desktop. I use all the time. The thing about if you're listening and you are interested in going this route of basically just shove everything into folders and then have like a few core things on your home, Spotlight Search on iOS is literally how I open every single app. So like it's not that I only use three apps. It's that every other app that I want to use, Spotlight Search has become fast enough and, and smart enough that I can basically swipe down, type a letter, and it's one of the four suggestions. So yep. it's 
perhaps technically slower, but the flow of never, ever, ever having to scan like rows and grids of icons is worth doing that. So yeah, Spotly Search on, on iOS, which actually gets into another thing that we talked about a few episodes ago, which drives me up the wall is when those results from Spotlight get pushed up and down. So that's painful. I feel your pain on the the moving tap target, the breaking of Winnie's principle, but I do like those results, which are less frequently tapped in my experience are above the applications, which are far more frequently tapped. So it pushes the application icons down, which makes it easier for me to tap on them. So I, I really like that they've ordered those specifically in a way that makes the thing that's most likely to tap further down on the page. Yeah, I think uh, there's just like this whole mental reorientation that has to happen as we have bigger phones and like move towards more bottom oriented screen uh, designs because for me that feels like the opposite it feels like it's actually being deprioritized although your interpretation is well now it's closer to my thumb but for me it's actually further away from where i'm looking so eh, if it's left <laughs> yeah i could see it going maybe both ways there but okay let me call out a couple more tweets that we got so luca oreo hi luca tweeted out one of the coolest upgrades to screenshotting that I've seen in a long time. Did not know about this. As folks know, if you do Command Shift 4, you can draw a selection that you want to screenshot. Luca says, if you do Command Shift 4, you can press the space bar once you've released the keys, click on a window, and it will screenshot the entire window, including its drop shadow. So, you know, if you wanted to screenshot like a browser window, instead of trying to get just on the edges of the browser window, and then you have like the corners at the bottom where the app window has like a little rounded corner. Instead, you can just press space and then click on the window and you get a perfect screenshot of that application's window. So on transparency too. On transparency with shadow. Yeah, it's great. So thank you for that one, Luca. And then our second tweet came from Silas Sao. Hope I'm pronouncing it right. Silas reminded us, so important here, if you are rearranging icons on iOS, you can now multi-touch those. You can actually just keep tapping more and more icons and group them together and rearrange as a group. Yeah, once you're in wiggle mode. I forget to do because I've had to do that several times, you know, moving stuff into folders. Um, I always forget that and it's actually really painful to move one at a time. Cool. That's follow up. Marshall, what happened this week? What's what's the most important thing in the world that happened this week? Uh, for me, um, things released to dark mode <laughs> <laughs> for iOS. So they've had it on their Mac version since I think 3.7, but now 3.8 came out and it brings their dark mode to iOS in addition to another like black mode, which is something I've been seeing a lot recently in apps that release a dark mode. They Not only do they have kind of a dark gray charcoal dark mode, but they also so take advantage of the OLED screen on, on the newest iPhones to have like true black backgrounds, which is really nice and I don't think would work as well on, on a MacBook uh, or a non-iPhone X model. Right, yeah. It's just the OLED that works. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the way that they have chosen to implement the dark mode. So I was excited when they announced this and then I opened it up and they have a toggle to switch dark mode on automatically, but they did it in a way that I actually hadn't seen before. I'm curious what your experience is here because I know YouTube has dark mode as well. But basically they give you a brightness slider where you can say, if my screen brightness is below this threshold, go dark mode. If it's above this threshold, go light mode. I hadn't seen that before. I guess I'm used to, you know, maybe like night versus daytime based on your location. So adjusting based on like a threshold of screen brightness felt like a smart decision, I think. Maybe it's too unpredictable. I'm not sure. How did that strike you? Yeah, so I love it. I think this is the best way to do it. So there are, there are three ways. You named two of them. That's that's uh, sunrise, sunset, regardless of the brightness of the room you're in. Then there's your device brightness, which is based on you know the brightness of the room you're in, assuming you have auto brightness on. And the third is manual, right? There's a toggle somewhere that you can tap a button and it changes. So yeah, so this is something I've been thinking a lot about, mostly because we have talked about Mojave and dark mode and how much I want iOS to have dark mode as well. And a lot of apps are kind of getting in front of that, things being one of them. Um, Tweetbot has actually done the the brightness thing that you mentioned for a while. I think that was their initial offering of, of how to handle. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't use Tweetbot. Makes sense. Yeah. And in my mind, tap bots and cultured code are very much in the same realm of like 
super talented, super high detail oriented, small development teams that make apps I love. Um, so in, in thinking about these three ways, the obvious thing is, yes, there should be a toggle somewhere. There should be a, a manual button that you can tap and turn things back and forth, regardless of if there's anything else. And you can add on to that. So for example, in, in Tweetbot, there is a gesture, which is a two finger swipe down or two finger swipe up. I think we talked about this last episode right. to switch between your modes which is nice. So you, it's just a gesture. You don't have to go into any menus or change your brightness or anything. It's still manual without having to be too fiddly. The location and time-based one is nice because it, it's unique to each person in the world. It doesn't matter where they are. It'll do the right thing. However, uh, it has the drawback of one, not necessarily reflecting your current environment. So you could be in a bright room and just because it's after dark, you're in dark mode, but that's not really great for, for the setting that you're in. The second downfall, I would say, is that you have to ask permission for the user's location, which my guess is most people say no to that almost all the time. Yeah, I see. Without even thinking of it, it's just kind of like a tooltip type thing where you're like, yeah, 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 whatever, cancel, get me out, let me do my thing, dismiss. Mm -hmm. So the nice thing about the auto brightness thing is that if your phone is doing the right thing, the app will do the right thing. It doesn't require any permissions and it should just work assuming you have auto brightness on. Um, and as long as you've set that threshold to the right point, the app you're making will always feel right in the person's environment, regardless of what that is. Makes a lot of sense. And getting around having to request permissions always seems like a win if you can do it, because it's just going to be a huge drop off every time. Are there any other ways that somebody could implement a dark mode switcher? Do you feel like we've, between the products we've listed and, and sort of those four, location, time, you know, gesture, brightness, uh, is, there, is there anything else that you can think of that you wish somebody would experiment with or try or something that you've you've experimented with? I've been racking my brain on this and I, I haven't been able to think of anything. I would love to hear if someone else has ideas on how this could work. Yeah, I think the last step is that it's might like Mojave. It's an OS-wide thing and your app doesn't care about your environment. It, it just listens to what the OS says should happen in every app inherits there but ideally providing escape hatches i'm glad that there are certain products that provide escape hatches uh, like i know th i know things does this on desktop where you can like choose whether or not you want to listen to the operating system or not yeah that, that's something that they re just released in 3.8 as well yeah like so so you can still be in light mode even if you're in dark mode os wide yeah anyways that's my news <laughs> cool uh, well, we have uh, an interview today. We do. We caught up with Zach, who's the CEO at Dribble, and we'll lay a little bit of context when we get on the call with him about why we're doing this interview. But for folks who have listened to episode 274 a few weeks ago, Dribble was sort of the, the central point of conversation for that episode. So thank you to, to Zach for reaching out after he listened to 274 and I'm really glad we got to talk and learn a little bit more about what's going on at Dribble and sort of the experiments that they're running and the things that they're working on. All right. So, Zach, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here. Maybe it would be good if you introduce yourself for people who aren't familiar. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm Zach Onisco. I'm the CEO of Dribble. And Dribble is a large uh, community platform for designers. Yeah. And so the basically genesis of this conversation uh, started this morning. Uh, you reached out to me about episode 274. And uh, there was some concern with, I th think, some of the language that Marshall and I use when we were talking about Dribble uh, in the broader conversation about sign-up paywalls. So I, I actually just want to go ahead and clear the air on a couple things. One is I, I'm a fan of Dribble. I like the people that work there. I use the product and you know, it's been a part of my sort of career path as a designer. So let's get that out of the way. I like Dribble. And second of all, I, I do want to apologize. I re-listened to the episode after you sent that message and I do think I came across a little harshly. So that made me feel bad. So I apologize to you and, you know, for the team, whoever's listening, uh, I hope we didn't come across as, you know, or at least me specifically as a giant asshole. So no, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. No, I, I, you know, I was just like, you know, I was hearing you guys saying like, well, why would they put this feature on the platform? And what was the reason? And what were the results? And and you don't know, and now your listeners are wondering, and they don't know, and these unresearched assumptions, accusations could, you know, can cause distrust in the community and, and can, you know, flat out hurt our brand. And so I just wanted to reach out and, you know, Brian, I met you at, at Dan Petty's Winter Work Week last year. And, right. and you know, you've interviewed uh, some of the folks on our team on this show. And so I was kind of like, well, this kind of sucks, guys. Like, if you're so curious about what's going down at Dribble, why don't you just, you know, reach out and ask me? I'm happy to, to share. So anyway. In my defense, I don't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I have no friends. So. 
That's okay, Marshall. But I'm I'm super happy that you're on here because yeah, yeah, a lot of that was like just speculation, like an yeah. exercise in trying to figure out from the outside, reverse engineer, like you know why. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so so let me lay a little bit of context here for people who haven't listened to episode 274. So Marshall and I started a conversation in that episode about putting a gate in front of viewing content on websites like Dribbble, where basically before you can paginate a list of, of shots or view certain profiles or uh, you know expand images, you're basically prompted to sign up. And so that started a, a broader conversation about where are we going with free content on the internet? How, how do people monetize free content? Um, and we talked about the way that Dribbble is a platform built on top of you know designers and illustrators and creative people uploading stuff voluntarily to the platform and sort of what that dynamic looks like. So that's the context of what we were talking about, but we actually have no idea why Dribble is doing the things it's doing, why why the sign-up gate sort of has been introduced and, and how it's going. So maybe it'd be useful if you could just tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You know, there was a comparison to to the New York Times in the episode, and, and I know you were, uh, is more of a contrast uh, kind of comparison, but, you know, subscription paywalls or, or for a free site like us, uh, like Dribble, you know, asking folks to sign up. We're a lot like, you know, we're, well, first, we're not, we're not a publishing company like the New York Times, where sure. we're a social platform, we're a professional network for designers. We're more like a Twitter or a Pinterest or AngelList, Instagram or Behance, all of which, by the way, have a lot more hardcore sign-up prompts than we do. But the the reason is, you know, we are a community at the heart and we're a network and we're more successful as a platform and a business if we make designers successful. So four and a half million people visit Dribble a month. A large percentage of those people swing by for, for a look. They're, they're window shopping and they take off. And we have no idea if they come back again or not. And so the, the prompt is really, you know, it's advantageous to designers to have visitors create accounts on a platform like ours because it increases engagement. You know, when people are logged in and they can... They can follow designers, they can like their work. We can send them emails and they can come back, you know, later, you know, after they get their following digest, you know, if they if they follow that designer. So that's largely the reason why. You know, we've also recently added Facebook and Gmail authentication, which, you know, has helped ease the the sign-up process. You can create an account with one click. Uh, versus filling out a bunch of form fields, but it's also pushing towards real identities and, and you know, reducing malicious accounts and behavior and spam and all that kind of thing. So that, that's kind of the reason. There were also some notes like, is this like detrimental to the platform? Are we like blowing it or are we shooting ourselves in the foot? And, and it's, you know, quite the opposite. Like since we've, you know, rolled out that feature last uh, last month or, or, or six weeks ago or so, we've just seen engagement go through the roof. You know, I joined the company two years ago as CEO. I've known Dan and Rich a long time. And, and my job is really kind of take this, you know, it was this, uh, this side project for, for Rich and Dan that has just organically grown over the years. And, you know, they got eight, eight years in like, shit, maybe there's like a real business here. Let's, you know, let, let's see what we can actually do with this thing. I took over the company when it was eight people. Wow, crazy. 22 months later, we're, we're just under 45 people. That's insane. So, you know, we, we were never short on good ideas. We've been short on hands to help us execute. And so instead of paying out, you know, paying out shareholder dividends, we're, we're reinvesting back in the company and, and the team. And we're investing in building a better platform for designers. So this is just like one of a myriad features that we've released, you know, over the last, you know, few years and, and going into next year, it's it's going to be really, really exciting as we, we invest. In, in this platform for designers. Sure, I, I totally hear you. And by the way, I love some of the new features that have shipped and this isn't really a product thing, but for example, Raji's 404 is the <laughs> yeah. coolest 404 page <laughs> on the internet. It's the coolest thing ever made. I guess I'm curious if you've heard other pushback besides you know our episode 274 against the sort of the sign up gate and I, I did some more digging this morning and I basically just went through the website logged out and wrote down all the instances where I see a sign up gate and if if this was a critique session I would say you know I felt as though as I was clicking around the website I was basically playing Russian roulette with whether I would get content or sign up wall yeah. So I'm curious if you've heard that feedback from other people, if it's been a non-issue. It sounds like from a metrics perspective, it's working out, uh, but I'm curious if, if there's a negative there. No, I mean, I, I have Twitter, so you know, I, <laughs> okay. I, I hear what, what, what goes on out there. And um, look, I mean, we get, we get criticized for, for a lot of stuff. Like if we change a button color, somebody's going to bitch about it. And it's just the nature of running a website with millions of users. Like 
people are going to notice when things change and complain about it. The sign up gate is actually not new. You know, it's actually been around for at least like five years. Can we clarify like that? Because I, I think some of the, the content that's being put behind the gate is, is new or, or it's becoming more restrictive. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was getting to is that we have recently launched a modal that's new, but we've always pushed people to sign up and create an account for, for many years now. And, you know, and for the reasons that I, that I stated earlier, it's, it's better for the community. We're going to increase engagement if people are actually signing up and, and participating in the community versus just, you know, being a bystander. And so we, you know, also in the last two years, we have started to invest in, in user research in analytics. And so we're actually just becoming more mature as a business and a company. We're doing A-B tests now. And so there's just things that will pop up on the site that we're really just experimenting. We don't even know if it's, you know, going to work or not. And, and so that's just, you know, I think that's just a modern way that, you know, people operate platforms and companies is that we just want to see what's going to work. We're just guessing until we get something in front of users. And so this is one of those things. And, you know, there was various different versions of this particular feature that we tried. And, and you know, what what is live now was the winner. But on the, the popular page and the signed out popular page, you would hit, you know, historically for years, if you hit like more than like three pages of pagination, you would you would have to sign up. So it hasn't been kind of open historically. So so I just wanted to kind of set that like it's it's there's new functionality and we're 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 evolving and we're experimenting. But this is like one of, of many features that we're we're experimenting with. Sure. One of the things that we speculated on, perhaps unfairly, was what the impact would be on creators themselves. For example, and maybe I'm mistaken on this, uh, but for example, now if, if you go to a, a user's profile on Dribble while you're signed out, uh, you can't actually view their shots at, at the high resolution anymore. And I'm curious if there's been pushback from creators who say, you know, I'm actually not getting uh, as many perhaps inbound requests or people aren't able to view my work anymore unless people have an account. Or maybe it's a non-issue. I don't know. Have you heard pushback from creators themselves? You know, that's the first time hearing about that. That actually might not be a feature. That might be a bug. Okay. I can follow up with a couple uh, areas actually of, of potential bugs because I did note them as possible bugs, but there's there's a couple instances where yeah it gets a little aggressive. Yeah, so I mean you know again like we're we're testing things out. This might even be sure sure. Oh believe me, I'm familiar with bugs. I <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I live my life in Bugland. <laughs> cool. I mean look, what we wanted to do was you know if you if you share your profile out, we want people to be able to view your work. But if you start digging into the site and exploring and you know you're looking for a designer to hire then we want you to to create an account you know and that that was the the purpose of this particular feature but yeah i'll, I'll have to dig in on if that was uh in the spec or not i don't i don't think it was yeah no worries yeah but you know you, you asked like how how it performed as you'd imagine our signups have soared through the roof but you know but also engagement so across all of the kpis likes follows more designers have gained exposure, more designers have found work they love. So again, like we're not doing this stuff to be malicious or or to to piss people off. It's it's really like benefiting the community in the long run. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I totally get that that would be the intent. I can't imagine Raji waking up every morning wanting to piss people <laughs> off. Uh, I don't know. Have you yeah. met that Raji guy? He's kind of a jerk. I actually haven't met him in person, but his internet brand seems the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Raji's like the nicest guy. But I mean, you know, Sarah and the whole crew. Okay, so the metrics went up. One, one yeah. other thing that we were critical about in 274. Uh, this is actually one of the things that when I listened back, I sort of cringed because I, I said it out loud and it just felt really shitty. Uh, but we we speculated about, you know, is this a sign of dribble floundering for a business model? Uh, that was perhaps unfair. Maybe you can speak a little bit to how things are going post acquisition. Uh, certainly don't expect specifics here, but I know, uh, you know, like dribble has pro and then there's been uh, a new like sort of designer search that has like a premium advanced feature. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how how things are going? post-acquisition what's the sort of state of the the dribble verse if we will it's going well i mean like i said you know good indicators is the the rate that a company is hiring if their business model is is working or not we've been hiring quite a lot no but you know traffic is up 100 percent. you know our, our community growth is up uh 200 our revenue is up 400 so we have very healthy growth yeah, so it's, it's doing pretty well. Okay, well, that's good to know. I understand you can't share specifics there. Um, maybe it'd be worth wrapping up with, you can talk about a little bit about what's coming up or maybe a new feature that you're excited about and then we can can wrap it up and, 
hopefully clear the air here. Yeah, yeah. I'm so stoked you guys you guys had me on and, and even responded to my tweet. I was um, Yeah, of course. I was you know, I, I listened to the podcast and I was like, Are they talking about dribble right now? And and, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, Shit, now I'm pissed off. Yeah, not our intention. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, we, we've been growing the team um, and really putting the team together to help help us execute. And we're really focused in, you know, kind of three core areas. You know, the first one is in community growth. We feel that we've, the invite system is 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 going to stay and is part of the Dribble DNA, but we've also kind of artificially restricted growth and, and really become like a an exclusive community, which was not our intent. And, and we get, you know, a lot of criticism around that as well. Um, especially from people who are not sharing on Dribble yet. And so we, we really want to work to become more inclusive. And then once on the platform, we also want to we want to make great designers get better exposure. I don't think I, I said that sentence in correct English, but if you have 100,000 followers or, or 100 followers, if you're doing great work, we want that work to be able to bubble up and, and be surfaced on our homepage. And so we're, we're investing in the platform. We're looking into you know categories and really just digging into who is on Dribble and how do we provide value back to those people. So you know, kind of getting back to like user research and really just spending a lot of time last year talking to a lot of designers. So that's kind of the first thing, community growth. The second area is around portfolio network. So we've internally have been debating for years. What are we? You know, so Dribble, the inception was, you know, a place where you, you upload what you're working on. And that meant like a snapshot, like, really, you know, back then it was like a close up of a beveled button. And, you know, the community has evolved the platform for us. We haven't really pushed that in any, any given way too strongly. And this recently, we kind of just put the debate to bed and we said, look, we we are a portfolio network. We've we talked to a ton of designers and did surveys recently. A lot of designers use us solely for their portfolio, for better, or for worse. And so now we're looking at if we are a portfolio network, how do we deliver the best damn portfolio experience out there, right? And so right. we've also gotten a lot of criticism just around dribble homogenizing design and, and being, you know, people kind of gravitating towards trends and like... <laughs> Uh, the yearly dribbleification <laughs> of web design medium post. Yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. So, so we did this survey and we, we took a poll. We, we kind of discovered there was two kind of generalized buckets of designer types. There were, you know, I'll just call it the graphic design on one side. And that's the illustrator, the brand designer, logo designer. And they're typically, they're looking for, for projects and freelance gigs. And, and then we there's this other camp. Oh, and like the, the graphic design illustrator camp they typically also have like a personal site, a custom domain where they they also keep a, a portfolio updated. And then there was this kind of just call it product design, web design, UX, interaction design. And this camp was using Dribble exclusively for their portfolio. And for a product designer, Dribble's like the wrong product. You know, it's not a place to to learn about the the value of a designer. And these were designers too who are who are not really into freelancing. They wanted more like full time, you know, in house roles. And so we're really starting to take a look at that, and we've started to talk internally like what is what would be like a portfolio 2.0, right? And and you know, if we can like rethink the idea of a portfolio. You know, when I went to design school, we had to carry around a giant briefcase and you know to interviews. And and today we have digital portfolios on the web. But what if we rethought that? And you know, what if Dribble became you know, there's kind of two things. One is that designers have anxiety of even uploading to Dribble because they feel like they're going to be judged or, you know, it needs to be good enough to be able to, to show off on the platform. So we're really thinking about like, one is like, how do we like make a safe place for, for sharing and getting feedback from peers, right? Oh my God, Dribble stories. It's not Dribble stories. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, but I, I would be lying if that hasn't come up in a brainstorming. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it was, uh, it was tough stuff. You know, we have this, this feature called projects, which is, you know, a feature of our, our, our pro product, but uh, it was really an MVP that we we launched and really didn't go back and revisit. But we, we knew there was value in this idea of what if you can, you know, capture multiple shots and show them off in one kind of central place. And, you know, a great portfolio shows the entire process, you know, from a pencil sketch on the back of a napkin or a notebook, you know, all the way through the rounds of revisions with the client. Um, you might go in a, a wrong direction, have to turn around and come back. And so we started to think a lot about that. How do we build a portfolio that captures the design thinking that reduces the need to do design interviews or, or design, um, you know, homework, right? When you 
when you're interviewing for a job and you're in front of this like panel of designers and you have to do this whiteboard thing so you can like you know talk out how you how you think about you know taking a complex problem and delivering a, a, a simple elegant solution that's the value of a designer so so anyway long, long story short we're going to be spending a lot of time focusing there you know in the past you know couple months you may have seen we invested in, in kind of the the unit of a shot and so we've We've launched high res, large format shots. We just launched video. And so where we'll be going next is to take, you know, a, a step down from the unit to to the profile and really investing in making that a much more uh, valuable uh, profile. So that's that's the second bucket. And then the third bucket is hiring solutions. It's just helping designers find, you know, work they love. There's there's a ton of work that we've already put into that. We, we just launched our messaging system. One is that we wanted more quality work opportunities to hit your inbox. So we've added a bunch of data. So you know, if somebody's budget doesn't match your your budget needs, then, you know, they, they can't message you. If you're an illustrator and they're looking for a website, well, that's not going to be a match. So so we, we, we're adding that. We're also adding recommendations that flow so that we can, so that the volume of work requests will increase and more designers who might not have as large of followings will be discoverable and get you know, find opportunities in the platform. So that's going live, I think, next week. And then there's a bunch of stuff in that category that we're looking to launch next year. Awesome. Well, good stuff all around. Well, uh, thank you, Zach, for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. Well, uh, be sure to tweet this out and uh, look forward to the, the new features. So Awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate taking the time. Thank you again to Zach and to everyone at Dribble. There's just so many people there doing doing really good work. So we're excited for what they're working on and for what Dribble is providing to the community. You know, Marshall and I have reflected several times together that Dribble is a huge reason that we are where we are today as designers from getting jobs to meeting the right people. So yeah, that's something that I, I didn't say on the call, but mentioned after we had stopped recording uh, with Zach was that the only reason that I have the job and the life that I have today is because of Dribble is because I met the right person at the right time and the right place to get that opportunity and, and dribble was the reason that I'm as happy as I am today. So for all of the potentially interpreted as negative criticism that I or we give, there's a huge amount of respect and thankfulness there that uh, they exist and they do what they do. Yeah. And you know, Marshall, when we first started recording together, I think one of our earliest episodes, we sort of reflected on this Rigby principle of like, how do we qualify criticism of products where we know that they're building hard shit and we know that they know about the problems we're going to talk about, but how do we still engage in a conversation where we can more critique, less criticize, but like talk about things that we wish were different or things that we don't think are working. So for listeners, I, I guess we're still working on that. And this might be a case where we, at least I feel like I maybe got a little bit carried away with the criticism and can do have room to improve on on the way I sort of talk about topics where other people are obviously working and trying their best to make a good product. Yeah. Likewise. I mean, this is why I brought this up back in one of the first few episodes I was on, which is like, yeah, how do we criticize without being jerks? And how do we go about the exercise of trying to think like a PM or think like a, a product mind, you know, put that product hat on and apply it to things where we don't know the answer and try to come up with an answer. It's hard to do that without offending those who actually know the answers to the questions you're asking and without potentially hurting the business business that you're analyzing. I don't know how much influence this show has. It's mostly just me talking in a room with my buddy. This podcast single-handedly shifts the zeitgeist of what is considered good design, Marshall. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure and no ego. But yeah, I, th I think this is a good conversation. It's, it's nice to get some of those answers, some official answers from, from this exercise that we went through. And I'm appreciative of, of Zach for joining us and, and clearing the air on some of that stuff. So good chat. Good chat. All right, Marshall, let's uh, wrap up. What you got? What'd you find this week? What's cool? Yeah. So my cool thing this week, last week was a YouTube channel. This week is no different. It's either a video game or a YouTube channel. Get used to it, everybody. Yeah, I got to get my shit in here somehow. <laughs> the channel uh, that I would like to recommend to you all is called Nando V Movies. It's a channel by a guy who is an aspiring screenwriter. I think he has written some stuff, nothing major. He does these outstanding analyses of movies and then basically rewrites bad movies or gives a few small suggestions that could completely change the way that the movie played out and the takeaways from it. So the best example of this that I could give is he did a four-part series 
on how to fix the Justice League movie. Oh boy. Which if you've seen it. Which I did not see. <laughs> is not a great movie. He yeah, he has this four part series where he goes through and and systematically changes little bits here and there. I think he changes the villain, he changes a, a, a few of the motivations of the characters, but his thoughtfulness on how screenplays are supposed to influence the viewer. So this is how it kind of ties into design. I feel like one of the reasons I love movies is that it is an experience and it is a designed flow, linear as it may be, but it is a designed flow that puts the user through a series of emotional changes and grabs them in the same way that you would want surprise and delight in your app. The, the same thing is true of writing a screenplay where you are trying to influence your user's emotional state for the positive and, and leave them feeling happier in the end. Usually, it depends on what the movie is, but for most of the time, you, you want the viewer to walk out of the movie theater feeling uplifted and thinking about the thing that you've that you've put on screen. So seeing a channel like this that, that goes through so systematically and makes such great suggestions that aren't insulting to the people who made the movie and 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 he does a lot of rigbying where he's like you know I, I know that there are constraints and somebody some executive probably came in and had a bad idea and everybody's had to go along with it or whatever this got changed at some point and there probably was the right thing at one point but it got overruled or whatever but his analyses are just so spot on and I want to see the movies that he suggests as opposed to the movies that were actually made which is I think high praise I think you just took over my whole evening because I'm on his YouTube channel reading he has a, a playlist for nando versus marvel versus dc the the justice league rewrites one small change yeah these all look amazing i'm gonna watch all the marvel ones for sure yeah and that's mostly what he's done so if you're into superhero movies he fixes a lot of those he has a huge <laughs> comic book knowledge like more than bren i think whoa his knowledge of the marvel lexicon of, of the entire catalog of characters and villains and everything is encyclopedic and pretty admirable and, and it allows him to make these really insightful suggestions on how to subtly change things in a minute, concise way that have great impl implications for how it plays out in the rest of the movie and, and the beats and how things should play out, the way character arcs should go when usually they fall flat. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And like I said, it, it makes me want to see these theoretical movies more than the real movies. Yeah, totally cool. Well, I'm excited to dig into these. Good, cool thing. So my cool thing this week, Marshall, is something that happens once a year Year, every year, Spotify, my music application of choice, tells me uh, who my favorite artists are, as though I don't already know Spotify. Is it Drake? Actually, it's not. Ooh, maybe Marshall. Let's play a little How Well Do You Know Me? Hmm. So my cool thing this week is uh, the 2018 Wrapped on Spotify. They do this every year, and I don't know, I spend about five total minutes on the actual website, which sucks because it's a really, really well-built website, and obviously they put a ton of work into it. But the main things that, that come out of this are you get your top 100 of 2018 as a playlist and then this year they did something different so every year they add like some sort of new spin on here's a curated playlist personalized for you that we think you'll like this year's is it's called taste breakers and based on your top 100 songs of 2018 they try to suggest things that are like orthogonal maybe like tangential to those top 100 that you might still like once removed yeah like one step removed but you would might also still like and as you might expect it's not a hundred percent hit rate but i have found some some good stuff in there as well so uh yeah we'll have a link to that in the show notes but otherwise it's just spotifywrap.com if you use spotify which i feel like i would consider this a product you know like the ability to build these personalized playlists is a huge reason that i use spotify in the first place over apple music and it's one of the reasons that i'm locked in essentially is because they know me so well <laughs> or they know my taste so well uh, that's my cool thing yeah interesting yeah all this personalization stuff usually kind of scares me a little bit in that i don't want to branch out like no i like my drake i don't want to listen to new people you know <laughs> I, I like i like my 10 artists that i die but when deep they on. get it right oh they get it right yeah and that's the thing is like every now and then you'll hear something you're like oh my god this is great who is this i've never heard of this this is great do they have an album oh this other stuff is amazing i have a whole new artist that's how i found alt j you know yeah yeah i think what you'll find at least I've found and I've heard other people sort of confirm this as well is that the Discover Weekly playlist 
basically alternates every other week between being very conservative and then being very uh, like exploratory. So one week they will throw a lot of stuff that maybe you like end up liking maybe 25% of that week's playlist. Uh, and then next week they'll dial it back and you like most of the stuff on there. So I've noticed this every other week pattern on that Interesting. particular Discover Weekly where, yeah, I, I still turn it on every Monday and I can tell pretty quickly whether I'm going to like it that week or not. Do you utilize the liking and disliking and, and, and do you skip through tracks that you're not interested or like? Yeah, I assume that the like and dislike is a pretty strong like heuristic for them. But I also read a long time ago that they also pay attention to how often you skip tracks as a way to gauge whether or not to include that kind of thing in the future. So I focus mostly on skipping tracks just so that at least hopefully in some way feeds back into that algorithm. I wish there was a way to bake that into pre-built playlists where it's like, I like all this stuff, but never play this one thing because I yeah. skip it every time. Uh, dude, artist blocking, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yep. This is something I've thought about in many ways for many different things of like, yes, give me freedom and, and give me suggestions, but let me declare to you the things I am eternally uninterested in. Cool. cool. Well, that's a cool thing and very time oriented for the for the end of the year. I'm a little sad that this is the last episode of the year, but I'm happy to have my evenings back. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get your Tuesday evenings back uh, on the show notes and now we get to just relax. All right, Marshall. Well, uh, it's been it's been a pleasure as always. It's been real, Brian. Thank you uh, to everyone listening. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. We hope you enjoyed uh, the interview with Zach. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show this year. We know it's been a big transition this year uh, from season one to season two, but we're looking forward to doing a lot more content and, and episodes and hopefully more interviews next year in 2019. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, just follow us on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. And of course, tweeted us thank you to everyone who's you know been tweeting at us between each episodes with tips and things that we're missing and, and corrections we really really appreciate that so yeah and we did this listener questions episode last week and and i want to do that a lot more we just have an episode that the, the meat of the episode is just answering your questions so send those in we will compile them and do more of these episodes in the future yeah and if you want more podcasts go to spec.fm i'm not sure the holiday schedule for all the other shows but uh we've got a bunch of shows on the network for designers and developers just like you so go to spec.fm for more podcast goodies uh, over the holidays and of course thank you so much to sarah and drew our master producers and editors who make this show possible and have been making it possible for all of 2018 i'm sure i'm sure they're gonna enjoy the two-week break more than we will marshall <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think it's definitely uh, in their favor more than ours they do the bulk of the work on this show yeah so sarah and drew thank you Happy holidays. Thank you and so much. To everyone listening, hope you enjoy your holidays and we will catch you in 2019. Oh, wow. Good year, Brian. Good year. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah. And, and thank you to the listeners for sticking with us through the changes and my adoption into the Design Details family. Maybe we might even have new uh, cover art for the for the podcast next year. How do, oh. how do you feel about that, Brian? I'm just springing it on you right now. But Oh, yeah. No, I'm, t I'm totally open. Uh, I think I was open to that when we switched formats as well. So uh, we're, you know, six months into that. So let's do it. Do you want a final, a final sign off for the year, Marshall? Goodbye. Goodbye. I give a good in there. Whoa. Put a little a little twist. A little a little zest on this one. Gotta sprinkle some good in there every once in a while, Brian. <laughs>